clicked. It was clicked. I clicked it. Is it recording? It is recording. It's recording your new microphone. My new microphone. If I sound weird, that's why. New microphone. Uh, 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 Willow is recording on a Zoom microphone. Uh, Zoom. Zoom H2N, I believe is what it is called. There's a box. It is the yeah. H2N. The Zoom H2N. I have, it, I have it on the little stand that came with it so I don't have to hold it. That's smart. Now you can flail your arms about as you as as is your won't. <laughs> Kermity, your Kermity flailing. <laughs> did you hear that the Muppet Show is coming to Disney Plus? I did. Yeah. Well, I don't have Disney Plus, so that doesn't affect me in any way, shape, or form. That's really the only thing we needed to catch up on since our last episode. So uh, <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Oh yeah, not not everything that's happened since our last episode. Not our impromptu break that we didn't announce at all. Was it impromptu? Yes. Yeah, I guess we didn't say anything about it now, did we? Uh, when was our last episode? I'm looking at it right now. Our last episode was November the 5th. Uh, so not as long ago as I keep saying it was. I keep telling everyone we haven't recorded in like six months. <laughs> it kind of feels that way, though. It, I, I think it's because a lot has happened since November. A lot has happened since November. Yeah. Uh, we last our last episode was Larger Than Oneself by Robert mm-hmm. Aikman, as you as you reminded me the other day. Yes. Uh, and uh, then we then we uh, voted in a new president. Mm-hmm. And then we just inaugurated in that new president, and that's kind of what's happened since since we last recorded. A lot of more has happened. You know the you know the. The Confederate flag being waved down the Capitol hallway. Oh, yeah, that too. Didn't happen even in the Civil War. (laughs) Yeah, it was Uh, kind of nuts. It's been a nutty, nutty last few months. I started my second semester this year. That's right. fourth semester. Uh, I'm actually so overwhelmed that I'm sick. Wow. Uh, what What makes this semester overwhelming? I'm taking six classes as opposed to four. That's a lot of classes. Two of them are only half classes, so it's more like I'm taking five classes as opposed to four. <laughs> Do you, uh, uh, what's your hardest class? Um, uh, probably screenwriting right now. Oh yeah. I know. I know it's gonna change to Victorian thrillers later. Yeah. Um, we're starting Frankenstein. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Check out our Frankenstein episodes from a few years back, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, damn. We should really take another look at that. That was such fun. That was fun. That was a fun episodes. Yeah, those are fun. A fun series. Uh, yeah. We're we're back, by the way, everyone. This is uh this is this is uh this is it's Del Toro time. Oh, I guess it we is. should say our name, shouldn't we? Yeah. Uh, hey everyone, I'm Phil. And I'm Willow. And it's, it's Del, Del Toro, Toro time. time. George Simister watched the blue flames writhe beautifully in the grate, like dancing girls drenched with alcohol and set afire, and congratulated himself on having survived well through the middle of the 20th century without getting involved in military service, world saving, or any activities that interfered with the earning and enjoyment of money. Outside rain dripped, a storm snarled at the city from the outskirts, and sudden gusts of wind produced in the chimney a sound like the mourning of doves. Simister shimmied himself a fraction of an inch deeper in his easy chair and took a slow sip of diluted scotch. He was sensitive to most cheaper liquors. Simister's physiology was on the delicate side. During his childhood, certain tastes and odors, playing on an elusive heart weakness, had been known to make him faint. 
The outspread newspaper started to slip from his knee. He detained it, let his glance rove across the next page, noted a headline about an uprising in Prague like that in Hungary in 1956, and murmured, Damn Slavs. Noted another about border fighting around Israel and muttered, Damn Jews. And let the paper go. He took another sip of his drink, yawned, and watched a virginal blue flame flutter frightenedly the length of the log before it turned to a white smoke ghost. There was a sharp... It's still Toro time! It's still Toro time! And again, this has nothing to do with Guillermo del Toro anymore. If you're, if you're coming to us for hot, hot Guillermo del Toro content, you're, you're, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Listen... <laughs> we're getting back to the ecstasy of influence as soon as we finish this book that's right this is uh this is us doing the dark descent by david g hartwell we have been covering the stories in uh the first third of the book called the color of evil and it's taken us some places yeah some interesting we, places but we think we figured out how to watch movies long distance again the movies we need to see so yeah. uh, uh we might well we will be jumping back into major motion pictures in a few weeks starting with Spirit of the Beehive. We got Spirit of the Beehive. <laughs> we found it, people. Uh, we skipped that movie a long time ago. Well, actually, I was looking at our list. It wasn't act- as long ago as I thought it was, but long enough ago that uh, yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be jumping back on the movie train. So if you pop in your copy of Spirit of the Beehive, uh, if you have refresh. a copy of Spirit of the Beehive and you didn't tell us where to get it, you're not allowed to listen to the show anymore. You're not allowed to listen, so you're cut out of our lives forever. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so what is this week's short story that we're exploring? Our short explory. Excuse me. <laughs> I have the Belson Express. The Belson Express by uh, Fritz Lieber. Lieber, Fritz Lieber. 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 L e i b e r. And according to German pronunciation rules, you pronounce the second vowel in the combo, so it's Lieber. He actually went on record as saying that he's like Lieber. L i e b e r is a really common last name, but Lieber is a pretty uncommon German last name, as far as he 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 was concerned. So he always had to correct people's pronunciation. Uh, that's it. That's all I know about him. That's not all I know about him. Uh, we've discussed Fritz Lieber a little bit in the past because he yeah. wrote he wrote a Conjure Wife. Mm-hmm. Which was the basis for the Night of the Eagle. Yeah. I feel like we talked about this recently. We probably talked about it in the last episode because we were were bringing up the fact that this was our next story. Oh, that's probably true. (laughs) (laughs) So we covered him a little bit. Uh, I don't, not much though. We didn't talk about him a whole lot. Uh, What can you tell me about Mr. Fritz Leiber? He was a correspondent of H.P. Lovecraft. He certainly was. Uh, Let's see. What else is there? Um... Are you are you just looking at the beginning of the the intro to the story? Yeah, that's great. That's fine because this is the intro to the story. This is what David G. Hartwell thought we needed to know. Uh, any other interesting facts or factoids about him? One sec, let me. Feel free to make that about... your ringtone, everyone. <laughs> it talks about Conjure Wife uh, and his first book, Night's Black Agents. His stories of urban horrors were a key factor in establishing the new horror mode of Unknown Magazine. Now, an elder statesman of his field, he continues to produce a tale. He's probably dead by now, huh? He died in, I believe, 92, 93, uh, early 90s. Uh, Damn. Not, not long after this this collection came out. Um, if you... Uh, 
Fritz Leiber was interesting. I, I posted on Twitter just yesterday, or maybe it was this morning, <laughs> that the thing about Fritz Leiber is the more you try to find out about Fritz Leiber, the more you need to find out more about Fritz Leiber because his life is just this endlessly fascinating, like, he was at, at good at everything, and he wasn't the first famous Fritz Leiber. His father was Fritz Leiber Sr., who was a Shakespearean actor, like a celebrated Shakespearean actor and, uh, and film actor. Like he was in a lot of movies, his father was. His mother was also like a famous Shakespearean actor. He and his mom, his, his father and his mother like appeared together in things. If you search his parents' names online, you can find like autographic, like, like playbills featuring them. Like they were a known quantity. And then Fritz Leiber was born and he was like, I'm gonna be an actor too. So he actually acted as well. And in fact, According to what I've found, but have not been able to pin down, you and I saw Fritz Leiber and Fritz Leiber Sr. together in a scene in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Apparently, they are both in it. Fritz Leiber Sr. definitely is. Some say that Fritz Leiber Jr. is also in the scene. He's just uncredited because he's just like a young guy in the scene. But his father's in it, so there's no reason for me not to believe. So we've seen him before. Uh, nice. He appears. Yeah, he, he was a chess expert. He thought about becoming a chess expert, like a chess champion, but he decided not to do that. He studied in seminary to become a minister, but he decided not to do that. Uh, he wrote and was he got married. His wife died. He became an alcoholic. He was a functioning alcoholic for most of his life, uh, and it, he would have these period periodic like. Uh, resurgences of his alcoholism and he would he would you know he'd go into funks I think he suffered from depression but he also wrote hundreds of stories he also created modern urban horror uh, and he also created the 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 genre of the sword and sorcery uh, story yeah almost single-handedly uh, he's sort of a student of Robert E Howard like the Conan style mm -hmm. but he brought it to see if this sounds familiar he was basically like, what if instead of just following the adventures of like some heroes or something, we actually built a world with like functioning city and a functioning social social structure and there were different classes and there were guilds and there were different like uh like professions and what was just as fascinating was the characters and their inner lives as was the plot and so you were building up these like sword and sorcery epics but around real life characters as opposed to just stock characters and if you're wondering was dungeons and dragons directly influenced by fritz Leiber? yes it it was the, the creators of Dungeons and Dragons have been like, yeah, it was the writings of Fritz Leiber who pretty much, uh, along with a few other writers, inspired the settings of Dungeons and Dragons. I love Dungeons and Dragons. I know you do. I, I mean, I throughout all of this, that one that's been the one like staple thing in my life. Yeah, I've it's been consistent. It's been there. Everything <laughs> else has sort of fallen to pieces. But every week, I get together with my bros and we play Dungeons and Dragons. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you have Mr. Fritz Leiber to thank for inspiring uh, the setting because he uh, he created a couple of characters, uh, very famous, very famous characters known as uh, uh, Fafford and the Grey Mouser, who he he created them with a friend of his and started writing about them in like the 1930s and continued writing about them up through his death. Uh, just dozens upon dozens. There's like seven volumes of stories about Fafford and the Grey Mouser, but that was the archetype of the giant, like seven foot tall, strong fighter guy, strong, silent fighter guy, and his little tiny sidekick buddy who was a thief 
and uh, uh, a loud mouth and quick to jump into a fight. That archetype was this was Fritz Leiber. He created that with Fafford and the Grey Mouser, and that's been like paid tribute to like for decades. Like every writer has had their like I'm just paying tribute to Fafford and the Grey Mouser with these characters. So there you go. Now that uh, I know that, I'm going to have to incorporate that into my book somehow. There's a, There are characters uh, written for, I, I think for D&D, there's like a famous character. I can't remember his name. His name is like uh, like Silver Rat or something who's based on the Grey Mouser. Like, it's just mm-hmm. like, it's that, it goes that deep. So Fritz Leiber. Uh, and from what I could tell, pretty nice guy. Uh, like, he just seemed like everyone just sort of seemed to like him and like the way he wrote. And I mean, he was friends with H.P. Lovecraft, so there's some... He was correspondence with H.P. Lovecraft, like everyone was at the time. If you wanted to get your foot in the door, you wrote to H.P. Lovecraft, and he was like... And Lovecraft, for all of his many faults, uh, if you wrote to him, he was pretty guaranteed that he would read what you wrote and offer you criticism on it, and sometimes completely rewrite it for you and let you publish it under your name, so... <laughs> He was he was a pretty easygoing guy uh, when it came to that. He loved Lovecraft enjoyed corresponding with people and and talking to young up and coming writers. So that was one of his that was one of Lovecraft's good points. <laughs> if you have like a list, a couple of columns, good point. You could write to him. He 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 was willing to talk. Bad point. Racist. St- Terribly sexist. racist. <laughs> Probably anti-Semitic. <laughs> yeah. Terrible guy. In another case, but. Very personable and very, apparently very fun to hang out with if you could if you could go on a walk with them. Uh, but in any case, uh, Liber also wrote horror, which is where we are today. Uh, mm-hmm. Horror, science fiction, and fantasy. Those were his three things. Those are the three things. And uh, this is an example of – this is a weird story, I think. To like, I do too. To sort of like stick out as like a main story. I really like this one though. Yeah? Mm-hmm. What is it you liked about this one? I liked that it had a reasonable explanation at the end, but the reasonable explanation was just shoved aside to pick the convenient explanation. What was the, okay, well, I guess our audience doesn't know what you're talking about unless they've read Belson Express. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Belson Express, if you're trying to get your hands on it, probably the best place to get your hands on it is in this collection. Uh, it's not in many library collections, so, uh, and that's the only way you're going to get most of his stuff is by buying collections of his work. So, yeah, if you want to read this one, just pick up a copy of The Dark Descent, which I believe is now available in ebook format. So, uh, uh, yeah, so pick up a copy of that. And, and what is this story, what is it really about? It's about a man who's so he's he starts out so apathetic mm-hmm. towards the Holocaust, right? And then he ends up dead. Yeah, <laughs> and then he dies. The end. Well, he starts out he starts out so apathetic towards it, but you can tell that apathy is just covering for his incredible fear mm-hmm. and anxiety about everything. But he's also anti-Semitic mm-hmm. and anti immigrant and anti-everyone like he's not a likable guy yeah no he's not at all i feel also, bad for his wife also his name is george simister yeah which is you know bit on the a nose bit on the nose <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so uh it's probably not surprising that uh fritz leiber was uh staunchly uh uh, uh anti-fascist Mm-hmm. And uh, so much so that even though he was a pacifist, he uh, enlisted in uh, World War II. He, he, he signed up. He joined, he joined up for World War II. He didn't see combat, but, uh, but, he, but he was like, I got to do something to stop these Nazis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is an interesting story because, yeah, this is about apathy towards, towards fascism, but also like 
he is terrified of Nazis. Yeah. And this book is set in like the 70s. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, yeah, this book is set. It's the book was, this story was uh, written in 1975. It seems to be set in the modern time. This guy, like the, the, the Nazis are long since gone, but this guy is still freaking out that Nazis are going to, right, right, quote unquote. And that comes into play. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Nazis are, you know, like, and he lives in America. Like he's like, he, as it says, like the, the Nazis never even got close to him in his mm-hmm. whole life. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, <sighs> this story, reading it now is so, mm-hmm. it's so strange. Because <laughs> yeah. I imagine in the time that this was written, people were like, okay, the Nazis are, you know, a phantom. They're a figment of the past, a terrible, terrible past, but we beat them. Mm-hmm. And now reading it, it's like, help, help, me. help. <laughs> it is. It is a lot of help, help, help me. This, so this guy George Simister, uh, he's convinced that kids are constantly terror. He keeps hearing things in the middle of the night, like mm-hmm. people banging on the door. And it's it's weird because he's got this fear of Nazis coming and breaking down his door. But also, it seems that people are attacking his house. So uh, I think. The first night, there was definitely someone in his house. Yeah, it says that uh, it says that the doorbell's been ringing and stuff has been obscenely sprayed on his house. Mm-hmm. So there is a legitimate threat there, but it's pretty much just like neighborhood hoodlum kids, yeah. as far as he's concerned. Uh, but what's happening in his life is he's married, as you said, to like this sort of like poor suffering woman. Uh, he has received in the mail like a, a stack of books about the Holocaust mm-hmm. that are pretty graphic books about the Holocaust. And uh, and he commutes to work every day. Uh, and when he commutes to work, he encounters there's a guy who's always on the uh, like on the bus with him, not on the bus, on the train with him. Yeah. Named Holstrom. Who he doesn't is... take a bus. It's very. Yes. Something you have to know is he doesn't take a bus. Right. He takes the train and then he gets off and he walks the rest of the way to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy Holstrom is constantly trying to get him to talk about the Nazis and fascism. He doesn't want to talk about it. Uh but that's kind of just the, that's kind of the basic setup mm-hmm. um, is and, and kind of hanging over the whole thing is this like sort of just sort of weird, just weird stuff. There's like a, a guy in a trench coat. He keeps thinking he sees uh, like a rat faced man and he keeps you keep getting these. The idea is that he's seeing aspects of the Holocaust flash into his range of vision and it might or might not be his imagination. Here's the thing. I <laughs> yes. don't think it's his imagination, but I don't think it's real. How do you explain it then? At the end of the story, a doctor comes in. They pass him off as some crack doctor. And he says, oh, he died of carbon monoxide poisoning. <laughs> and one of, like, there are symptoms of carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, weakness, dizziness, confusion, things like that. That I think if you're not, if you're... Like, I think carbon monoxide poisoning can cause some of the things that was happening. Right. Um, Like, seeing things, the rapid or abnormal heartbeat. Yeah. uh, Impaired judgment, irritability, fatigue, confusion. Like, things like that that he was experiencing. I think he really did have carbon monoxide poisoning. But do you think that he had carbon monoxide poisoning throughout the course of the story? Yeah. uh, When he gets on the bus, there's the... Let's back up a little bit because I'm afraid we're going to be confusing people. Uh, right, yeah. Basically, the long and short of it is he's 
He's freaking out about the Holocaust this whole time. He starts seeing things that make him think of the Holocaust. He's worried about, like, you get hints that he's, like, freaked out about the idea of being herded onto a train or a bus, driven somewhere and gassed. And Mm -hmm. remember, this guy is not Jewish. uh, But it's this sort of, like, paranoid worry that he has. And there's also the whole thing of, like, when you got off the the trains at, at... at the concentration camps, you would be divided into two groups. The group to the left would be sent to their death. The group to the right would be sent to the workhouse. Mm-hmm. And they've set up a fence outside the train station where they're dividing the like the exiting passengers. And he keeps trying to get over to the right, but he keeps almost getting herded over to the left. And mm-hmm. then like one thing happens. Uh, there's like it's like rainy one day. He gets caught up in the crowd one day, and he keeps accidentally getting like herded onto the bus. Mm-hmm. And every time he's herded onto the bus. Uh, he can smell carbon monoxide coming up through the floor of the bus. And then in the end, uh, he dies, but not like on the bus. He dies at work. Yeah. And everyone's like, I guess he had a heart attack. And then one doctor says it was carbon monoxide poisoning. And that's pretty much the plot of the story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So you think it was he was poisoned by carbon monoxide. Yeah. From the bus. Yeah, or or his house, but his wife would have been experiencing the same things because right. she doesn't hear the knocking. Right, right. He keeps waking up, but you're not sure if she doesn't hear it or if she just hasn't woken up. Like it's it is kept very vague. Mm-hmm. Um, like the books arrived, and the stack of Holocaust books arrived, and they can't read the address very well on the on the package, but. They didn't order the book, so they assume it's been delivered to the wrong house. And you find out near the end of the story that it was actually this this acquaintance of his uh, from the bus mm-hmm. who sent those books to him and then felt, like, guilty about it because it was a little forward yeah. and presumptuous of him to do that. Because uh, the, try- the story shifts from his perspective to the friend's perspective at the end. Yeah. The, friend, the acquaintance's perspective at the end. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and that's that's kind of it. Like... As far as plot goes, it's very short. Like it's a very short story. Um, and when I, I and I, I have read it about twelve times now. Oh, and the reason it's called Belson Express is because he gets on the uh, he gets on the bus at the end, and he looks up and he sees the express sign, and he briefly in his eyes it says Belson Express, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's he he flips out and he tries to look at he tries to roll the sign back so he can see it. And, uh, but it doesn't say anyway. It just says Belson Express. Or it just says Express. And yeah, and then he dies. Um, he, he just, he had, he's in a good mood. He goes to the office and, uh, and then he, and then he dies. Everyone's like, I guess he had a heart attack. But of course, that's not the point of the story, is it? No. Right. <laughs> what do you think the point of this? Story? Remember, remembering that it is a horror story. Yeah. Well, I think it's a story about a terrible man. Uh huh. Who, I don't, I, I, it's hard to describe him. It's hard to describe this character. Uh huh. Cause he's a terrible man that's so scared of what he deems as inconsequential. Yeah. That it's just, it's like, well, what is wrong with you? <laughs> uh, part of what struck me about this story when I first read it was that he, it's that thing where he doesn't care about what happened to the to the to the entire Jewish population of Europe. He doesn't really care about other people, mm-hmm. but he is terrified about how it could affect him. Yeah, and I I see that. I think that's a it really it really re- like resonated with me when I read it because it's that 
that sense of, I don't care about what's happening in the world or what happened in the world, as long as I'm comfortable and I'm safe. Mm -hmm. And to one degree or another, I think a lot of people feel that way, like, especially if you feel very insecure or you have anxiety. Um, But this is kind of taking that to like this extreme where he cares so much about his own well-being so much that he actually brings the problems and the terrors of another group of people onto himself. Mm -hmm. Like just, I don't know, just to, I don't know if it's that he wants to feel afraid if he's so like complacent in his life that like he's just been worn down so much just by by modern life that he needs something to terrify him. I don't know what it is. Uh, It's definitely a, a story about like the creeping dread of fascism as well. Uh, but it's never really clear if the fascism is real or if it's just something that he thinks is real. I personally believe everything's in his head. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I've experienced anxiety this intense before, mm-hmm. uh, especially before I was on my meds. And I know that reality definitely was warped when I was experiencing that anxiety. Yeah. Um, like the sneering faces and stuff. I get that. Yeah. I didn't ever really like a- appropriate someone's genuine struggle (laughs) right but uh i definitely have experienced the warping of reality before as someone who has who has experienced uh extreme anxiety and anxiety attacks uh it would you say that there is a like even though you you weren't like i think there's nazis everywhere or i think i'm being herded onto a nazi car um can you I do s- think there's Nazis everywhere. Well, that's yeah, that's a, that, 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 that's the other thing. It's like <laughs> it's like, oh, guess what? There actually are Nazis everywhere. Um, but can you see that as being like maybe not for you personally, but like does that seem like a realistic extension of an anxiety attack or an anxiety like like a, a period of intense anxiety? If your anxiety progresses enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, like anxiety doesn't let you see what's really happening. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it dials you up to 10 instead of allowing you to remain at a 5 or a 6. You automatically assume the worst is going to happen. Right. So why and it's do scary. You... Like, I can, I can, like, you are physically affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, your heart starts pumping. And in some cases, I assume it can lead to cardiac arrest. Like, it's scary. Being anxious is scary. <laughs> why do you think... Liber made him a bigot. Like, why do you think he made? They made him such a sort of a vile, petty little man. Maybe he just had. He was like, "What if I named a character Sinister?" <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> and had him be a sinister character. Well, what I was gonna. Th- what I'm asking though is like, no, you I can, know. <laughs> you can legitimately yeah. tell this story as a, this is a person who may or may not simply be suffering from an anxiety an anxiety attack. Uh, but you don't have to make that person an anti-Semite to make that terrifying. I wonder what his, what Liber's goal was in making Sinister a man who simply doesn't care about anyone else's welfare. I think because a lot of Americans at the time didn't care (laughs) Mm. about other people's welfare. Yeah. Like a lot of the from what I've seen anyways and what I've heard and what I can assume based on my own experience with people, especially Americans, a lot of stuff is all about, oh, if this had affected me, this would have happened. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, if they had gotten to America, we would have done this. It's not about what actually happened. Because America has sort of, or I should say the United States, has a hero complex 
and a victim complex at the same time. Yeah. It's very much, this is supposed to be about us. This is us, 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 us. So it makes sense that the abbreviation for the U.S. is us. (laughs) That was a terrible joke. Uh, But I really do think that Sinister, which is this is an accurate representation of the people of the time. Maybe not as maybe they're not as blaringly anti-Semitic, mm-hmm. but anti-Semitism was a pretty big deal in America. Still is. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, I, I get what you're saying. And by making him anti-Semitic and by making him just sort of misanthropic in general, uh, there is a bit of that sort of like comeuppance at the end. Like he never does anything. He never does anything. Like, that's the thing. Like, he's not actively... He's kind of like H.P. Lovecraft. Like, Mm -hmm. he's just sort of like... A jerk. But, like, not even like a jerk. He's just... He is internally racist and internally anti-Semitic. He's not, like, going out and marching. He's not threatening people. Uh, If you never talk to him, you'd never know. And... But that's dangerous. It is dangerous. It's a dangerous way to live. It's a dangerous point of view. And that I think that creates something beyond apathy like there's Mm -hmm. apathy like i don't care and there's apathy then you add on like actual uh actual like resentment towards a group of of victimized people yeah it's like it's like when people blame rape survivors right it's like well if you hadn't done this this wouldn't have happened it's victim blaming Mm -hmm. it's very it's, I was gonna say uh, it moderns it reminds me of like modern like modern uh modern conservative like yeah. right wing like the ultra right wing conservatives that like that ugh the world like ugh people and their problems but then as soon as anything bothers them they freak out and and everything is the biggest problem in the world it's that I don't know it's a, it's a very uh because there's the anti semitism and the racism involved in it it's just it, it seems like that like ugh I have no no time for these like ugh these victims and but but also i believe i'm the biggest victim of them all like it's i don't know I, does that make any sense no yeah i completely agree with you this story could be about donald trump it could be except donald trump would never take the train that's true uh and also it, he isn't scared of nazis that's true that's because true. he is one <laughs> That's true. He's also uh, he took off in his helicopter the other day, and I don't I don't know if he ever came down. Don't know if he it went ever to came Florida. Down. Yeah, that's where he belongs. That's because his daughter's gonna try and run for something in Florida, I think. And his his younger daughter's getting married. She's uh, engaged. Good for her. And then he has a lesbian niece, right? Who absolutely hates something him. like that. Yes. Something Why do we like know that. so much about the I mean, they all... about the former president's uh, Cause, family? Because they were in the news never every shut day. Up. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. S- Mr. Simister. I'm so uh, excited to not have to open the news every day and say something about our president. Good. <laughs> good. Uh, is this a horror story? Yes. What makes it a horror story? The atmosphere. Mm. It could very much have been not a horror story. Could have just been, I don't know, like a semi, like what is the term for a horror story that's not supposed to be a horror, st- like a, a drama, I guess. About yeah, this it, guy who feels mm-hmm. beset by Nazis, even though there's nothing going on. Right. But because they went with the intense anxiety and the shit warping of reality, it became a horror story. Yeah, like he writes it like a horror story, mm-hmm. even though, yeah, you're right. Like it, it could just be a short story. It could just be a, a, a story in The New Yorker about a guy who freaks himself out to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... Uh, 
but it definitely that definitely feels it won the world fantasy award for short fiction uh for this year in 1976 um it beat out uh david drake a brian lumley and a manly wade wellman story uh the previous year robert aikman had won for mm-hmm. a different first story but he he uh he beat out sticks he beat the short story sticks that we love so much uh, and he also beat the events at Porath Farm, which is also one of my favorite uh, Lovecraftian short stories. So, uh, but Belson Express beat a few short stories I've never heard of. But uh, um, yeah, he won the World Fantasy Award for it, and he also won it's like the August Derleth Award for short fiction. So, the fact that this is not more popular is surprising. I do find it interesting that like it it won so many awards. It won awards for horror and fantasy when it's very just it's almost a very unassuming story like it doesn't see it though yeah yeah there's this there's this sense of reflection you get when you read this story and i assume uh, at the time people felt that very strongly too Uh there's the sense of i am becoming this guy yeah if i am not careful i will become this man it reminded me a little bit of uh what was the harlan ellison story we read about the woman who got murdered and like nobody Nobody oh, the New York her. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one reminds, about the one that appropriated that real woman's story. That, that we, real woman's story. Yeah, that we the got one we of, tore apart in our episode. Uh, yeah, uh, it what was, was it? the crowd. No, not the crowd. The uh, whimper of whipped dogs. Yeah, the whimper. It kind of reminds me of that in that it's taking a real life thing and kind of just like showing the showing the readership like ah, you see, you see what can happen if you don't if you don't take things seriously, if you don't become a better citizen. But I feel like Belson Express did it a lot better. Like, Well, it didn't have a mysterious sky entity that ripped someone true. apart at the end. <laughs> that's which right. I, which there I, was the sky monster. Which I really appreciate, you know. <laughs> I forgot about the sky monster. To me, the whimper of whipped dogs it, it remains just this sort of like harsh drama about a woman destroyed by her experience. I forget that there's actually a city demon who rips a person apart in the end. That's the best part of the story. Um, that is the best part of the story. Doesn't make any sense for where the story seemed to have been going, but it nope. is the best part of the story. It is the best part of the story. Uh, so the Belson Express, what do you think of it? I liked it. Yeah, um, yeah. It it really validated like the experiences of anxiety that I've had. <laughs> like uh, I I felt I felt it felt familiar. I guess not like the anti-Semitism and stuff, but the right. <laughs> but the the anxiety attacks and the things like that felt it was an interesting read i'm glad you clarified that you could not relate to the (laughs) anti-semitism it makes me feel a lot better um no uh i enjoyed it i enjoyed it i'm a little numb to it right now because i read it so many times because we kept thinking we were going to record and so each time we would record i would reread belson express uh, retake my notes and then re-look up all the fritz liver stuff and uh so i've been ready for this episode for a while uh, uh actually i should clarify why we had a break at the end of this episode <laughs> Um, but I did read Conjure Wife when we covered uh, Night of the Eagle, and I remember loving that. And this has gotten me actually to read a bunch more Fritz Leiber in the last few weeks. And I'm like, yeah, he's a really good writer. Like, he's a, he can pull you in with just likable characters. Like, you just, you're like, oh, okay, I, I want to follow these characters around a bit more. Like, he's just a, he's just a solid, good writer. Or unlikable characters. Or even like, even like the people you're not supposed to like, he gives you interesting looks inside their head. And so you're fat, like, he's, he's a fascinating writer. He was a fascinating writer. Um, 
Yes. I should read more of his stuff. Considering he created the genre I'm trying to emulate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, t- no, take a look at his stuff. It's it's out there. Uh, uh, it's you can if you go onto Amazon. There's you know some pretty inexpensive uh, copies of his books out there. Or if you come across them in a used bookstore or something, uh, pick them up. I I really have enjoyed his work. Um, but what is the next story in our next story. The Dark Descent? Is yours truly Jack the Ripper? Yours truly Jack the Ripper, and who who gives us that story? Who is that Robert. story by? I thought that said Hobart. <laughs> Not Hobart. Robert Block. Blush? Robert Block, the author of Psycho. And, I got it correct. <laughs> and another uh, another correspondent of H.P. Lovecraft's. So uh, I am I am looking for Robert Block. Robert Block is right up there with Fritz Leiber and like Richard Matheson, uh, old Dick Math. I've read I've read some Richard Matheson, haven't I? Yeah, he wrote Duel. Right. He wrote another one of the stories in this collection. I can't remember which one. Um, Duel. That was that the one with the car. Yes, he wrote Evening. No, that was John Collier. What? Did, no, Dick Math wrote the screenplay <laughs> for the TV movie of Evening Primrose. That's right. Yeah, because uh, he was also a screenwriter. Uh, but uh, Dicky Math, Dick Dick Mathman, he was part of the group like Robert Block, uh, uh, Fritz Leiber, like this sort of group of like uh, up and coming. Like we're changing the genre as we as we as we go along. And so Robert Block, I am looking forward to reading something by him because he's another really good writer. Also, yours truly, Jack the Ripper. I like, well, I don't like Jack the Ripper. I'm fascinated by the case, though. Yeah? Yeah. I think well, it's really interesting how many theories there are. I don't know how uh, how much this has to do with... Uh... No, I know. I assume it doesn't have very much to do with it, considering all of the titles haven't had much to do with anything. I just wanted to put it out there that I'm very fascinated by the case. Uh Probably the most fascinating thing about the Jack the Ripper case to me, and it, I, I agree, it is a fascinating case, is the notion that uh, we don't really even know if there was if it was just one guy. Like, yeah, we don't even know if it was a guy. Yeah, it just we don't know anything about Jack the Ripper except that somebody called him Jack the Ripper at one point, and mm-hmm. then it all went to heck because policing uh, and crime investigation was terrible back then. It's it reminds me a lot of the Zodiac case because uh, we don't know if it was only one person then as well. And they could have caught him because they saw him, but no. there was racism. Uh, and also, uh, did you see that they just solved one of the Zodiac? Uh, mm-hmm. I did. Yeah. And it means nothing. There's it means nothing. nothing. It, was just, it was just more of his BS. It was just more of him just like yammering he did. On. He did review The Exorcist. So that means we do have something in common with the Zodiac That's true. <laughs> That's true. Look at us, a couple of little Zodiac killers. <laughs> with our own podcast um so that yeah so that join us join us next week i guess or next time uh fingers crossed next week next episode for yours truly jack the ripper Woo. uh but i'm glad we're back yeah i'm glad we're back talking about horror and soon to be talking about movies mm-hmm. so uh so stick with us folks we'll be back with more with more goodness uh, yeah and uh and we'll see you all next time time Nope, that's not what we say. How do we end this show? You and say, we'll s- and we'll see. No, you say I'm Phil because I'm Phil and I'm Ollie. No, you're well, what? No, I'm not. Oh my God. <laughs> Are we doing this now? Nope. <laughs> Jesus, it's been way too long. <laughs> because I'm Phil and I'm Willow, and we'll see you when it's Del Toro time. time. Do I just click the stop record button? Just press stop. What is stop? Is it the same button? Oh no. There's no other button. Do I just click the record button again?
There's no, there's no other button. I assume I just clicked this button again.